0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash Nerd. Our story this week
1: picks up where we left off last week.
0: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 610 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds,
1: my name is Matt Baum. Oh, dramatic. I got chills just then. I know, right? I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. It's new comic book day, so you'd better believe we're reviewing a whole pile of new comics from this and last week. After that, we'll wrap about our must-read comic picks for next week, and then it's time for another THN Top 5, where we're counting down our top five alien political leaders in honor of Presidents Day. We got sick of the American presidents.
0: Damn it. They're
1: all tired of American politics. It's one
0: white-ass group, let me tell you. Like, save for one dude, you know? (laughs) It's all happening on this problematically patriotic post-Mardi Gras Ash Wednesday edition of THN. So, Hope your hangovers have subsided. And if you're Catholic, you rubbed a little bit of dirt on your head today because it's review time in
1: the cigarettes! This week's pile features doctors working in the shadows, cheating spouses, baby hellboys, miniature black holes, and of course, the triumphant return of Adam X. That's right, baby. <laughs> That's right. Matt, I can't. Like, I just, I've, I've, I've looked ahead at your review, and I just can't believe it. <laughs> you are leading the
0: charge this week. Get us started. First, I want to talk about Casual Fling, number one, from AWA, which it sounds like an American wrestling association, but it's not. Artists, writers, and auteurs, is that it? Or? Artisans. Artisans. Pardon me. Even better. This was written by Jason Starr with art by Dalibor Talajic. The story follows Jennifer Ryan, a high-paid attorney at a powerful law firm whose husband takes care of the kids. While her life seems to be perfect and money's not much of an issue, her marriage has become a little dull. And when she steps out for a one-night stand with a mysterious masked man, she finds herself in a situation that is much more than she bargained for. Now, the solicitor's book talks about... Torment at the hands of a lover that leaves destruction in his wake. But there really wasn't any hint of that here. Sure, the guy that she sleeps with calls her afterwards, and he does get her phone number from an assistant, which seems a little unbelievable to me these days, but it's what it is. The story almost comes off as this cautionary tale that hasn't quite become cautionary yet. The art is fine for this slice-of-life type story, but there was nothing that hooked me here at all. It it wanted to be adult and creepy, but it didn't lean into the sex or the creepy part, and it really just comes off as like a moral dilemma that really wasn't that interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I it's it's got to be hard to tell a story like this because it is an action packed, it is very slice of life, and I'm sure it's going to get creepy. But there was nothing here that said "ooh, I got to stick around to see what's happening with that." I'm giving it a skim, it.
1: I mean, to be fair, the last page. Definitely sets up some sinister intent I mean, on behalf I,
0: of the lover.
1: I guess, but it like it wasn't even anything that
0: like creepy or shocking, you know? It was just like, oh, that's that's what he did. Yeah, that's gross, I guess. Yeah, Matt, <laughs>
1: that's creepy and shocking and also illegal. But shit like that happens all the time. I'm just saying that's your hook. Oh, okay. Sorry. I forgot that you're a jaded man of the world. No, I'm just uh, saying, like, that's your
0: hook, really. It's not like he, you know, murdered her or something and like, ooh, creepy, gross. Yeah, What's going I mean, on here? I guess we'll see. Uh, Spoiler alert! I, I did. He didn't murder her. <laughs>
1: okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I this didn't do anything for me. Uh, the characters yeah. are all just like really broadly painted. Like, yeah, she works too hard. And, her husband's unsatisfied. Well, and they really reach uh, for some
0: stuff too. Like, where like the boss is like, look, I realize you got a family, but you're a lawyer and you need to be here. Like, no, come on. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> really? <laughs> um I, I did I did like the art. I like Dalabor Telagic uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, I mean other than other than looking pretty, it just it didn't really do anything with me. I'm yeah. kind of like being generous to give it a It
0: And again, I'm not saying what dude did wasn't creepy and gross. I'm just saying it also wasn't That's enough. That's literally what you said. <laughs> no, I'm saying it wasn't enough to hook me you in. You said it wasn't that shocking. It wasn't creepy or gross enough to really hook me in. This is shit that like, yeah, it's creepy and gross, but it happens on the internet all the time.
1: So you needed it to be just like way more explicitly something.
0: It, look, I'm just saying if you're gonna do a book like this, either lean into the sex or lean into the creepy part.
1: But without either,
0: I'm not real interested. I mean, why- at the Hall of Justice.
1: Next up for me is Radiant. Well, first up for me is Radiant Black number one from Image. Take a serving of Spider-Man, add a dash of Green Lantern and a pinch of Power Rangers. And you not only have the extent of my cooking knowledge, but you also have Radiant Black. The new superhero series from writer Kyle Higgins and artist Marcelo Costa. You'd want
0: to blend that and strain it because there's a lot of armor involved there. You know, you're not going to eat that. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know. Yeah. It's probably going to need to steep for quite some time. Yeah, yeah,
0: get that flavor out.
1: Well, Nathan Burnett is a failed writer deep in debt and at the end of his rope. After moving back in to his parents' home, back in his hometown, his ultra supportive parents, by the way, Nathan goes out for a night on the town with his best friend, Marshall, where he discovers a mysterious object that looks kind of like a tiny black hole what do you do you touch it yeah stick your hand in it (laughs) just put your hand right in there uh of course it grants him vast uh cosmic powers to be fair that is exactly what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) It's every superhero origin. Let's not kid ourselves. The first thing I do is like, I gotta
0: see, Ah! you
1: You find a weird touch tone. You find a weird rotary dial. You get a a ring from a purple guy. Sure, These are things you just take at face value. I've done my homework. I know how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Higgins uh, makes the most of his 20 plus pages and delves deep into Nathan's character and past. Uh, he does a great job making us care about Nathan and his struggle. Like he does more to help us get to know the main character than a lot of writers do in like an entire first story arc. Yeah, and you know why? Like, Cause he's not pushing it.
0: He's not yeah. doing anything weird. It's just like very relatable things. Oh, he's a guy. Try to be a writer. A lot of credit card debt. Everyone can relate to that. Okay. I've credit card debt. I get it. Yeah. That sucks. Moving back in with your parents. Mm-hmm. That sucks. I get it.
1: Right. Costa's art is great as well. It's dynamic with a bit of a, a, a softer Ryan Otley vibe. That's immediately what I thought of Ooh, when I looked at it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Radiant Black, number one, is an exciting introduction to a new superhero tale. Uh, it Frankly, it reminded me of the earliest days of Invincible. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be the same kind of runaway success, but I'm hoping for the best for Kyle Higgins because he's a great writer. And I think this is a fun concept. I'm giving it a buy it.
0: You know what? The the first time I read this, I wasn't blown away by it. And I don't know if I was in a mood or whatever, but I read it again today and I really did enjoy it. And I think I've gotten so used to such a slam bang hook introduction that I forgot that, hey, you can also just write a really relatable character and funny dialogue. Yeah and believable parents and shit like that. And that can be really good, too. He's not breaking any boundaries here. He's not doing anything new. There isn't anything grossly wild or strange about the origin. I mean, like... It is what it is, but it was just good. It was just really good, and I think
1: that's what— It's a solid superhero origin
0: Yeah, I think that's what Higgins does. He's good at writing believable characters, put in ridiculous situations. See any of his Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, for perfect example. But yeah, this was really good. I'm giving it a buy it. My next review is ORCS. It's in all caps. Number one, from Boom. This is written and drawn by Christine Larson. Now, we all know orcs are big, bumbling, annoying bad guys in most fantasy stories, but here we get a rare look at the other side of orcs. We get to meet their families, their friends, we get a little bit of their society, and even how their heroes inspire them. Orcs follows a group of intrepid orcs setting off for adventure in a world that doesn't take them very seriously, where the squirrels are more than they appear to be. (laughs) Creators have been trying to capture this sort of spastic lunacy and heart of Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock for years by smashing it on all kinds of other characters. I gotta say Larson's orcs comes about as close as possible without falling into the cloying cute trap that most cartoonish fantasy stories easily fall into. The art is deceptively good. It reminds me of Burke Brethead's cartooning almost and his work on Bloom County. The story is a adorable, but I also never felt like I was being worked or force-fed sugary-sweet internet memes. There's good humor here and a compelling group of ruffians smashing their way through the story. Orcs was fun for fans of lighthearted D&D type fantasy romps that still respects the rules of things like D&D, but doesn't take itself too seriously. I think you could read this with just about any age group and have a lot of fun with it. It's not too scary. It's not too serious, but it's funny enough you
1: can all enjoy it. I'm giving this a buy it yeah i totally loved this uh you know i saw it on the list i didn't know what it was and i was like oh god orcs well at first glance
0: it looks like it's gonna be super adorable you know meme worthy that's not even that's not even what i mean
1: like i mean i just saw the name of the book on your list and i was like oh god it's some sort of high fantasy nonsense uh And I looked, and then I once I saw it was a Kaboom book, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm into this. And I was instantly taken by it. Yeah. Um, You know, it reminded me of Teen Dog in the sense that um, it's, like, effortlessly funny and charming without having a bunch of, like... Okay catchphrase yeah exactly it's not like a lot of pop culture there are no references yeah
0: they're not working at any at any time they are not working yet
1: yeah it's like it's like it's not pandering to any sort of youth audience it's just like really smart clever humor and the art is great and i loved it it's a buy it moving on to black hammer visions number one from dark horse the first issue of Dark Horse's star-studded reimagining of the Black Hammer universe is here with a tale by Patton Oswalt and Dean Kotz that explores the life of Golden Gale before she becomes trapped on Black Hammer farm. The solicit describes this series as a reimagining, and maybe future issues will be, but this story could fit seamlessly into Black Hammer lore. Like, it, it could just go slot right into the beginning, right I, before volume one. I was a little confused by that, honestly. Yeah. Oswalt frames the tale with a ghost world homage complete with two young weirdo girls that look like Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson destined to grow apart as they find different paths. Stuck in the middle is the ageless Gale and one of the girls suspects that not all is as it seems with our hero. Oswald's story is a compelling character study that really fleshes out the struggle Gale went through as a middle-aged woman stuck in a child's body. Like there are a couple of scenes there. That are kind of heartbreaking where she breaks down like on the playground.
0: Well, that's Gail's character though. And like, yeah. that's, I think that's the best thing about the character. But we don't Gale. ever
1: like, we've never seen her interacting with normal kids before.
0: Right. For those of you who don't know and don't read this book and you should be damn it. Gail is an adult trapped in a super kids body. She's like the opposite of Shazam basically. Like, yeah, it's adult- like,
1: a, it's like a, yeah, it's like a Shazam analog where she becomes this superpowered kid, and at some point, she got stuck.
0: Yeah, and it's just awful. It's awful. Like, everything that's great that happens to Billy when he becomes
1: Shazam is the opposite of Gale. Yeah. It's terrible. I love it. I like Dean Katz's uh, loose penciling style, and the art is pretty solid for the most part, though here and there, there are some inconsistencies that make the art seem rushed or unfinished. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering specifically a panel uh, towards the latter half of the book where um, the Scarlett Johansson character gets up from the diner in a huff. To oh, leave, yeah. Yep. And she sticks her hand out, like, tuck to the hand. And it looks like, like a Minecraft character <laughs> <laughs> or something. I don't know. Black Hammer Visions, number one, is a strong start to a miniseries that should end up being a lot of fun. I'm giving this a buy it. I thought the story was great. I thought the story was also great. I didn't get
0: how this was a reimagining, and maybe that should to the fact that Black Hammer is such a weird universe as it is, that, like... Nothing you could reimagine is going to be as strange as what Jeff Lemire has already done with it. I mean,
1: that's just solicit talk. So, I mean, it's probably best not to dwell on it. Yeah.
0: And it it could just be bad solicit talk. And this is just, hey, here's some other stories by artists that aren't Jeff Lemire.
1: Right. It's the the vision of Black Hammer by a writer that's not Jeff Lemire. Right.
0: And it was great. I really liked Dean Kotz a lot. He did some Mars Attack stuff that I really liked. He also worked on the Butcher of Paris book, which was amazing. This was not as sharp.
1: The book that he did that I really loved was Poe.
0: Oh yeah, uh, which okay. was a
1: uh, uh, kind of a an alternate history about Edgar Allan Poe becoming the first detective. Yeah, and it
0: was awesome. It was really. Yeah, it good. was awesome.
1: And I think that was like supposed to be made into
0: a TV show that never happened or whatever. is too bad. Oh, who knows? Well, what can you do? This is a huge buy from me as well. Though. My next review is X-Men Legends number 1 from Marvel. It's written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Brett Booth. X-Men Legends is here for all you X-nerds that just can't wrap their heads around the Jonathan Hickman X-Madness and from page 1 it is absolutely a blast from the extreme X past. <laughs> Legends is examining the untold stories of the X-Men's past and this one focuses on the mystery of I almost said it here, but I'm not going to spoil it. but a character we may have tried to forget. The Shire have come to Earth searching for Adamax, who is meditating in a cornfield. Cyclops and havoc's grandparents have been kidnapped, and it looks like there's a whole summer's family reunion planned. Brett Booth is at his most 90s extreme here, overdrawing every character, complete with sharp edges and hair that defies gravity. The dialogue is just as extreme as the art, with moments of tough guy comedy splashed in with the hyper-macho moments of ridiculous pose fighting. I can't say it wasn't fun, though. And Brett Booth drew the living hell out of this story. Nicesia is writing like he was just pulled out of a 25-year coma. And while I don't care about Adam X at all, this was a fun read. And I am giving this a buy it. Tell me if I'm insane. If I'm insane, I will recant. But I put this down and went, God damn it. That was way more fun than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're insane. Uh, there was something really nice about seeing like a confident Scott and a confident Havoc wearing their old costumes and right. just
1: whooping ass. I'll grant <laughs> you, you this it <laughs> was nice to read a traditional X Men story. Yeah. Um, it, it, and I do like Fabian Nicieza a, a lot as a writer. Um, Adam X. I don't give a shit about
0: that character. I don't. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm so glad he's back. And he looked ridiculous here. He was wearing the same shit that he wore in the 90s. But He, no. is,
1: he is the poochie of the X-Men. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying really hard not to spoil it because you, you didn't want to. But what Nine Cieza is doing here to make us care more about Adam X is one of the most ridiculous developments. <laughs> it really is. In X-Men history. Okay, and. But- Think of the time what it, that this wh- came out of and how ridiculous that time was. But what makes it worse is that is that the the it was either the, the back matter or the intro page insists that everything that happens in this book is in continuity. Yeah? I
0: mean, he says this is what he had planned and it just didn't pan out back in the day. So he's panning it out here, baby. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> I loved it. I kind of, I, I like. How ridiculous is it, honestly? Thinking of this time of the X Men when Adam X was running around, how ridiculous is it really for them to do what they did here? I would argue this is par for the course.
1: Completely at the time. Yes, it's one thing to to read something through the lens of nostalgia, like to go back and read X Men number thirty nine, which they reference in this issue. Sure. Or um uh uh the old cat the old Captain Marvel miniseries from before l- Peter Davidson. I remember.
0: love that they kept referencing that shit. That was so fun
1: because it was also it, part of the
0: throwback. It's like they made some poor jackass do the homework and cite stuff.
1: I love it. I'm gonna give it a skim it.
0: Oh, you. I'm gonna
1: give it a skim it just because there's no way I can recommend this to everyone. Like it it. it it speaks to a certain kind of reader. Yeah, this is inside
0: baseball X-Men reading without a doubt. But if you're into that, goddamn, it was fun.
1: <laughs> it was just fun. <laughs> yeah, I I just like I read it and I was like, "Okay, you know, what well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's not that it was poorly executed. Like no. it was it 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 jumped right. It, it, it's like it stepped out of a time machine. Absolutely. But I just like I I find it really hard to care about that stuff as a new development in the modern day.
0: Fair enough. I, like, look, is Adam X going to pop up in the next, like, X of He's Swords He's going to show up on Just you wait. No. <laughs> I kind of doubt it.
1: Yeah, yeah. My next review is of Immortal Hulk Flatline. It was a one-shot from Marvel. Writer-artist Declan Shalvey brings his immense talent to the latest Immortal Hulk one-shot. This issue finds Bruce Banner waking up in a series of odd places Following the Hulk's nighttime escapades, Uh, that sounds dirty, but you know what I mean. Uh, Luckily, Hulk leaves Bruce close enough to get to his job as a dishwasher on time every morning. It's very considerate. While on the job, Bruce is confronted by an old mentor that takes him on a violent, gamma powered life lesson. First things first, this issue is absolutely gorgeous. Shelby's Art and Coloring give this book a gamma-colored shine. It's beautiful. The story, however, left me a little flat. When all was said and done, the big lesson is that Bruce and the Hulk are always connected. Yeah,
0: no shit. I didn't like, know didn't that. Didn't already
1: know that? Huh. I mean, it, it seems like a theme that's already been covered over and over by a number of writers in the past over the years. Still, Immortal Hulk flatline was a decent read that was fun to look at. So I'm giving it a strong skin. Yeah. I don't know. The, The art was gorgeous and I love the color palette. Like Declan
0: Chavley is an artist's artist. That dude is stupid, talented, But the story here, he just borrowed a bunch of stuff like Bruce waking up places and like after the Hulk did stuff and like having that's the Hulk, though. Yeah. Having a dis but I'm just saying there's like nothing like really new here. He didn't really put a stamp on it, introduced a new character that kind of came out of nowhere, and you could sort of see where that was going. Even and that character was supposed to teach us a lesson, but didn't teach us anything new. I, I don't know. Like when all was said and done, this was pretty to look at, but it wasn't that much fun to read. I'm giving it. I'm giving it a plain old skim. It. I think Declan Shavley is a very talented artist. I think he could use a little help in the in the writing department. And it wasn't the dialogue or anything
1: like that. No, it, no, it was just like the plot. The, the plot was. It's weird because I read some other reviews after I wrote mine and, and a lot of them were fairly glowing.
0: And, I, I you know, saw maybe they, it was just like Maybe
1: they saw something I didn't in the story, you know, but I just thought, I just thought that this, this supposed profound yeah revelation was nothing new. Well, that's just it. It comes off as it's trying to be this
0: learning moment for you, the reader and for Bruce Banner, we're both going to have an epiphany. But the epiphany that we have is just like, well, how long have I fucking known that? And like, and if Bruce doesn't know that by now, then what is Bruce even doing? Right.
1: I also was expecting the mentor to either be dead or a ghost or something right. the entire time. Or his and dad, that you know, it.
0: or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next up for me is Young Hellboy, colon, The Hidden Land. Number one from Dark Horse. It's written by... Mike Magnola and Thomas Snedgowski with art by Craig Rousseau. Young Hellboy and his adopted father, Professor Brutenholm, set out for adventure in South America, where they plan on investigating an ancient dig site, but their plans are interrupted when their plane crashes, leaving them on a mysterious island inhabited by monsters, and one of young Hellboy's heroes. Maybe it's the years of reading creepy, well-paced dark hellboy stories that confused me here but this young hellboy tale came off as more of a Steven Spielberg story than Mike McNola. The plot moves at a roller coaster pace the, and the art by Craig Rousseau is much brighter than the creepy shadows that create the overwhelming darkness of most hellboy stories. This was almost silly at times and while I know they're trying to tell a more upbeat fun young hellboy story, it really didn't work for me in the pacing. I'm giving this a skim it. And this is the first time I think I've given a Hellboy comic a skim it. Maybe ever. But I just didn't love it. I don't know. It just kind of came off as silly to be silly. Fun to be fun. And nothing really happened. It was like, there's like a monster there. And there's another monster here. And an unexpected guest that you've never heard of. Like, okay, thanks. I don't know. Skim it. Eh, I think, man,
1: what a grumpus. I just didn't love it. No, I thought this was great. Silly, like, that's young Hellboy, dude. That is what young Hellboy is. Like, the first appearance of young Hellboy is about him eating pancakes and the devil going, oh, no, we've lost him forever. I don't disagree, but, like, there was other things in this that were trying to
0: be kind of serious in Hellboy, like the character that was there to kill him for the church that was going
1: to murder the kid and stuff. I mean... I'm not saying it didn't have regular Hellboy elements, but like the lightheartedness of it and the art for especially like, I think it's totally fitting with young Hellboy. I thought this was a lot of fun. You didn't really, you don't really need to know anything about Hellboy to enjoy it. I'm giving this a buy it. Our final review of the week goes to shadow doctor. Number one from aftershock writer, Peter Calloway tells the real life story of his grandfather, Nat, a black doctor in the 1930s whose mafia connections come back to haunt him throughout his life. Calloway, who's best known for his work in television, delivers the compelling story of a man finally confessing the truth about his past on his deathbed. After a youth spent running whiskey during Prohibition, Nat turns his life around to become a doctor. Unfortunately, the color of his skin makes finding a job impossible. Left with no choice, Nat returns to his old bootlegging boss, who just happens to have become the biggest crime lord of 1930s Chicago. It was the 30s. It happens, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oops. Dang it. Uh, This was an absolutely riveting read made better by the gorgeous art of George's jainty and colorist one show with an exclamation point <laughs> i love that dude <laughs> uh, uh gnt is doing something different here like the art is much sketchier like it's just yeah. like like he's feeling out the drawing you know there's like multiple pencil uh, there's like multiple marks for every line like he's like he's building the drawing um i i thought this was wonderful this is a shadow doctor number one gets a huge buy it from me
0: I'm going to do a terrible job of this, but there was something we just reviewed not too long ago that Georges Janty drew that we did not love. And we looked at it and we're like, this was really weird art for Janty. But looking at this, I think he was developing this sort of new style. And I think he is hit on a new style and it looks so good because that dude is crazy talented. And I, and I wish I could remember what it was that we didn't love that he did not too long ago. Regardless, this was stunning. And I am so glad that you switched your pick from what it was going to be to this because the digital DC comic that you wanted to review was not very good. <laughs> so- oh, no. <laughs> this was fantastic. I'm giving a huge buy it. Calloway obviously did a lot of work looking into history and research. It is believable. It's very well told. And I am so happy to have Janty back and working at a very high level. Huge buy it for me. Joe, which book wins? What was your book of the week? Well, the past two weeks from this pile.
1: Uh, let me real quick glance back. It's not even close well, for me.
0: Yeah, I didn't even have to think about it.
1: For me, it's Shadow Doctor.
0: It's Shadow Doctor for me as well. You were afraid I was yeah. going to say X-Men Legends.
1: <laughs> I was. <laughs> no, um, I, I was a little bit torn because I was so pleasantly surprised by Orcs. Orcs was great and a lot of uh, fun. But Shadow Doctor blew me away.
0: Yeah, I think... And this is, this is not me knocking orcs as a book or the creator as a talent. I feel like more work and research went into Shadow
1: Doctor. Oh yeah. I mean, this is obviously like, it's a true story.
0: Yeah. And it it was just excellent.
1: It was just, I mean, and I kind of, I kind of spoiled it uh, in my review, but um, the opening pages of the book, uh, there's a, there's a caption that says, this is a true story, which all it does is remind you of the TV show Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. But in, also uh, Fargo, you know, is- I, I half expected the, the second captain to read the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yeah,
0: but Fargo was total bullshit when they say that. You realize?
1: <laughs> so no, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Um, but then you get to the end of the book, and it's revealed in the back matter that, like, no, uh, Nat Calloway was a real life person. He was a he he uh, drove trucks for uh, Al Capone during his bootlegging days during Prohibition, and uh, he turned his life around, became a doctor, couldn't get a job. Couldn't get a loan to open his own practice. Went back to Capone and borrowed money from the mafia. Cue Shadow Doctor. Yeah, there you go. Well,
0: and And, Peter Calloway, who is a TV writer, has an excellent sense of storytelling and pacing, and it shows. Like, this is just a storyboard. For a TV show that we may or may not see on HBO Max, if it doesn't go under after like, the Snyder got takes a dude, take dude, dude wrote a couple of
1: episodes of Legion, and I was like, <laughs> "I'm sold." I just suck. I just sucked that right in. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I was talking. That's I, all right. I didn't hear you.
0: It's the time in the show when we take time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for a segment of the show we call the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we discuss our must-read picks for next week. And let me tell you, we're still cleaning up from last night's Mardi Gras red beans and rice and hurricane orgy, and this place is a mess. And there will definitely be some topless picks of Joe Patrick hitting the net if they aren't there already. Joey! What is your must-read pick for next week? He didn't get all those beads because he didn't earn them, folks. Let me tell you.
1: (laughs) I'm just shaking what my mama gave me. Uh, And I would like to point out that that first sentence uh, was probably the longest sentence ever uttered in THN history. It was a joke. (laughs) It was funny. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, funny, uh uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. I'll screw you. I know, it was funny. My pick for next week is Nuclear Family, number one from Aftershock. It's written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Tony Shasteen. It's 32 pages for 4 dollars And here is your solicit. America, 1957. Elvis dominates the airwaves and apple pie is served after every meal. But with the dark cloud of nuclear Holocaust looming, Korean War vet Tim McLean's major concern is taking care of his family. In the atomic age Alright that's enough All right. When the first bomb drops On an unexpected Midwest city Tim and his family find themselves Plunged into a strange new world Where what's left of the United States has gone underground While continuing to wage war On Russia with unthinkable Tactics uh, This is based on Philip K. Dick's Short story Breakfast at Twilight So there you have it
0: I love Philip K. Dick Love him, love him, love him.
1: Uh, Stephanie Phillips has written some things we've enjoyed, like Butcher of Paris. Uh, Tony Chastain's done a bunch of Star Trek stuff. It's Cold War era science fiction at its most timely and terrifying Sounds good to me. Yeah, that sounds totally
0: great. Tony Chastain is really good, by the way. Does excellent work mm. over, on, yeah. over at IDW uh, There's a Star preview
1: draft. in the back of Shadow Doctor. If you're interested, it looks pretty good. It does look very good. My pick is Stray
0: Dogs, number one, from Image Comics. It's written by Tony Fleece. Fleeces? Fleeks. Fleeks. Tony Fleeks. With art by Trish Forstner. It's 36 pages. It's 3 dollars And it's being billed as <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, Meets Lady and the Tramp <laughs> Okay, here's your solicit It's scary being the new dog Sophie can't remember what happened She doesn't know how she ended up in this house She doesn't recognize any of these other dogs She knows something terrible happened But she just can't recall Wait! Where's her lady? A five issue Don Bluth style Suspense thriller by My Little Pony Comic artist Tony Fleeks And Chris Forstner what? Stray Dogs is Lady in the Tramp meets Silence of the Lambs. And let me tell you, I got fired up for this Clarice show that was gonna be on CBS because I'm like, I love yeah. Silence of the Lambs. I read the books, I even liked the movies. I even liked the prequel movie that nobody liked. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. I watched <laughs> it, It's so it to be great. You know what? Clarice sucked. Not into eh, it, so whatever. I'm hoping I'm hoping this scratches that itch. Uh, and look, I love those old Don Bluth movies, and this Trish Forstner draws exactly, perfectly in the style. This looks beautiful. I can't wait. And if uh, they start, well, this this when they start killing this, dogs, <laughs> like, oh, that's gonna get wild. <laughs>
1: This, uh, this solicit has me very interested. Uh, and so I'm to say the least, I'm very, um, eager to read it. I don't know if excited is the right word. I got to see
0: where it goes. Uh, the art <laughs> is amazing though.
1: The cartooning right. work in this
0: amazing.
1: All right. Fair enough. The THN trade of the week goes to scene of the crime trade paperback from image comics. It's 128 pages for 1699. Uh, this was originally a Vertigo series. That's a steal, though. Let's just, I'm sorry. It, yeah, that it is, is a steal. It's back in print as a first ever trade paperback. It's a lost crime noir masterpiece long out of print. Scene of the Crime was the first time Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark worked together before their acclaimed runs on Daredevil and Gotham Central. And it was inked by Sean Phillips, who also designed the book this new book
0: this is back when sean phillips was just waiting for michael lark to die so he could step in there and start drawing
1: <laughs> this is where it all began with a hard-hitting mystery story set in modern day chinatown that garnered nominations for best miniseries and best writer in the 2000 eisner awards it's got uh, behind the scenes art and stories and a new forward by ed brubaker among many other extras apparently it's all about the extras and we don't get much about the story uh, but Scene of the Crime is great.
0: It's, I can vouch for it. It's so good. I own this miniseries. It is in my private, personal collection. I will never get rid of it. I love Ugh. Michael Lark. I love Ed Brubaker. This was a fantastic book, and I can't remember even why I grabbed it off the shelf back in the day, other than I think Michael Lark had worked on Terminal City, and I loved Terminal City. That was Dean Motter. Oh, you're right. That was Dean Motter. I wonder what I'm thinking of. I'm drawing a blank now. But I picked it up just because I I knew Michael Lark. And I didn't even know... Actually, 2000, I bet I knew Ed Brubaker already.
1: He'd done some Batman
0: stuff. Well,
1: (laughs) yeah, he may have done some Batman stuff by then.
0: Yeah, I'd have to look into it. I don't remember why I picked it up, but I loved it. Never part with it. Fantastic crime noir stuff. Kitties, you can find our complete review list every Wednesday. On our Twitter and our Faces book If you want to read along with us Speaking of reading along with us The THN book club this month is reading Vision and Scarlet Witch, The Trade Paperback Saga, Wanda, and Vision
1: <laughs> From Marvel uh, Point of order I I apologize to you Michael Lark did indeed draw Terminal City Okay, smoke it Dean Motter did a different thing That also has city in the name I think Mr. X, was that Dean Motter, right? Oh, Dean Motter, yeah, Mr. X. Mr. X, yeah. Oh, no, wait. Dean Motter wrote Terminal City. Oh, okay. There we go. Michael Lark drew Terminal City. All right, then. We're both right. So There we there go. There you have it.
0: Regardless of that, join us. Read along with us. We're going to have a fun little book club discussion with some friends. We're going to have it right here on the show. We'll have the extended discussion on our Patreon. So go pick up Vision and Scarlet Witch, The Saga of Wanda and the Vision. Read along with us. Do it at your local comic book store. And pre-order all your comics. Do it every week. Do it, you guys. It's the best way to help out. Do it. Do it. One, two, three, four, five. Breakdown, baby.
1: This past Monday was President's Day, but the last four years has us a little tired of American leaders. So we decided to look to the comic book stars and count down our top five alien leaders. Uh. Eh. Political and otherwise. They're political leaders. Say. I mean, even if you're an not Iron all fist, political leaders. even if you're an iron-fisted despot, you're a politician. You know, you're just um, doing it a nah, different way. Ain't nobody running against some of
0: these guys. I'm not saying that anybody's running against you. You're still involved in politics, one way or another. <laughs>
1: like um, it or not, I think I I still disagree. Uh, of course, we're also going to mention the stories that made us love them. Matt, let's start out with your number five. My Numero number cinco, as they
0: say. My number five goes to the best-looking. Bird alien girl in the universe, Miss Lalandra Naramani, princess of the Chayar, who would be, who would become Majestrix, but she's got this pesky sister that keeps chasing her out and trying to steal her power. That's how she hooked up with her main bald bro, Professor X. She was created by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. Her first appearance was in Uncanny X-Men 97 back in February 1976. I personally met Lilandra and fell in love with her in Uncanny X-Men 180 way back in 1984 when I first started reading the X-Men. And it like kind of shook me because Professor X, this is not to say that people in wheelchairs can't have, you know, Fruitful relationships. But Professor X was like a nerdy dude in a wheelchair and bald head and everything. And he had this hot
1: bird girlfriend. <laughs> hey, man, some uh, some relationships aren't about the physical. It's true, it's true. And uh man,
0: I loved her. She was crazy. The X-men were involved in all manner of interstellar bullshit at the time. She was ousted by her people, but like the Imperial guard still secretly like loved her and wanted her back, but they couldn't do anything because like they were in charge and they have to work under the new person that's running shit. You know, it has to be like what FEMA felt like in the Trump administration.
1: Lalandra
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> Neramani, my number five, Joe Patrick.
1: My number five is an iron fisted yellow dictator. His name is Mongol. He first appeared in DC Comics Presents number 27, November 1980. He is the ruler of the planet-sized battle station War World. He commands a vast army of intergalactic conquerors. He goes around and forces people to fight in gladiator battles. He is overall a big old badass. He is responsible partially responsible for the destruction of Coast City in the 90s, which led to uh, Hal Jordan's long and torturous decline into super villainy and uh, subsequent resurrection as a Green Lantern by Jeff Johns. Uh, I just I think Mongol is super fun to read about. He's just this big yellow jerk yeah serious and rage like,
0: issues like yeah yeah Intense you know rage like, issues.
1: <laughs> and he gives superman a run for his money so you know every time he shows up it's going to be at least an interesting time uh my recommended reading for mongol is superman annual number 10 which is a very famous alan moore story called for the man who has everything oh yeah um, that is a good one uh Superman goes to the Fortress of Solitude uh, uh, on his birthday and he finds a gift there that he thinks is from his friends. Uh, It's an alien plant uh, that subsequently uh, leeches onto his body and puts him in a vegetative state where he uh, fantasizes a life where Krypton never exploded and he never came to Earth. Yeah, like feeds off your
0: dreams like yeah right
1: Uh, and it's just like if you get trapped by the Black Mercy you are likely trapped forever and it was all a trap by Mongol and it's just a great Great uh, story by Alan Moore with beautiful art by Dave Gibbons. Superman died
0: and we never saw him again. That was it. Yeah, no, never heard from (laughs) either one of those
1: guys again. Yeah. Uh, It's got some really fun moments. Like when uh, Superman snaps out of it and he realizes that the entire, like he thinks he's lived an entire lifetime. He, his parents were alive. He had a wife, he had a son. And when he realizes it was all fake, he gets angrier probably than Superman had ever been depicted at that time in comics. And now you're saying now, hold
0: on, Joe Patrick, Superman does have a wife and a son. What are you talking about? This is way before. all that. <laughs> It's a different. Way Superman. Before. This was,
1: <laughs> Superman was a swinging bachelor. Very different Superman. Uh, there's, a, there's also a, uh, there's also a fun scene where um, uh, something, I don't re- remember exactly what happens, but um Batman catches uh, Robin uh, eyeballing Wonder Woman. And he says, think clean thoughts, chum. which is a classic line. Uh, Yeah, Mongol is my number five. My number four goes to Annihilus, ruler of the negative zone. His first
0: appearance was Fantastic Four annual number six back in 1968. He was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And whenever you see that, you can basically say, oh, you mean he was created by Jack Kirby? Got it. Annihilus is the leader of the negative zone because... He has the cosmic control rod. There's no elections. There's no fighting about shit. If you have the rod, you're in charge. Just ask Blastar. He had it for a while, but but Annihilus always ends up taking it away from him. The rod basically allows him to manipulate cosmic energy in order to control the molecular structure of matter. Now, what you may not know about Annihilus, he's a big, scary-looking, fanged bug thing with wings, but that's just... Armor. There's actually a little bug inside Annihilus. Teeny tiny little bug (laughs) that drives this armor around. (laughs) And he's a really, really mad little bug. (laughs) He hates the Fantastic Four. He's been a thorn in their side forever. Now, I admit I was aware of Annihilus for a very long time. Never really cared about the character until I read Annihilation from Marvel. Early 2000s, or probably mid-2000s, I guess. I'd have to look it up
1: exactly. Uh, yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think you're not too far off.
0: It is far and away some of the best cosmic Marvel storytelling. Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning wrote it. Annihilation is available in like three big books that contains the whole story. It was sort of the rebirth of the Guardians of the Galaxy before the movie and everything wonderful wonderful stuff and they established Annihilus as one of the scariest cosmic villains in the Marvel universe I love him
1: uh Jonathan Hickman also does some really fun things with Annihilus in his uh Fantastic Four and FF song. oh yeah that's true absolutely uh it's, where with all the stuff with Johnny Storm and, yeah yeah uh, so good so good Annihilus almost made my list but then I remembered my number four R.J. Brand, the richest man in the galaxy. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, to be fair, he's one of the richest men in the galaxy. Uh, R.J. Brand is the benefactor of the Legion of Superheroes. In their first appearance, uh, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, and Lightning Lad found themselves on the same transport ship with R.J. Brand When they discovered a plot against his life and they teamed up to save him as a result, the Legion was born and they never had to pay another bill in their lives. There you go. Not true, but still. Um, So depending on the continuity you're looking at, (laughs) RJ Brand uh, is the president of the United, uh, United Planets in the 31st century. So he is also, uh, if you look him up on like Comic Vine or whatever, under abilities, uh, one of his abilities is uh, insanely rich. (laughs) Like That's a quote, insanely rich. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so he's president of the United Planets. uh, Something fun that was revealed uh, way into his history. I, I guess I should say that he first appeared in Adventure Comics. Number 350, which is the issue that retold the formation of the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, but something that was revealed much, much later, uh, not until like the uh, late 70s, early 80s. RJ Brand is secretly a Derlin. If you don't know what a Derlin is, uh, a Derlin is the, uh, the same race as uh, Chameleon Boy. Oh. They are a race of shapeshifters. And so he is not at all human.
0: I knew this would go uh, back to some dumb Legion of Heroes shit. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: it's just that he had been, uh, he had been stuck in human form for years and he just found out, he just found, you know, I kind of like it. I'm happy living this life. Uh, and he is the father of chameleon boy, the Legionnaire. Another thing that they revealed or that they hinted at later on, uh, there was a, a mini series in the eighties. It was one of the uh first post-Crisis DC events. It was like the third year post-crisis, it was called Invasion with an exclamation point. And in that miniseries, they introduced the uh the present-day Legion that was more like a police force, the L period, E period. You know what I mean? Oh so like the science police. No, no, you know, like Legion eighty-nine, Legion Oh you know, gotcha, L gotcha, period, gotcha. E period, okay. G period. Um and one of the characters was called the Derlin. And it was strongly hinted that the Derlin was RJ Brand. So not only is he an alien from a shape shifting race, but he's also a thousand years old. And I don't know if he got slingshotted into the future or if he's just that old. I, I don't know the story. Uh, recommended reading for RJ Brand. Unfortunately, Legion trades from that era are very spotty. Yeah, but right around Legion of Superheroes number three hundred-ish, um, uh, maybe a little bit before that, uh, three hundred one specifically is the issue where um, he speaks to uh, he speaks to his son Chameleon Boy and says, "You know what? I'm happy living life as a human. I'm just going to stay that way." Um, but yeah, RJ Brand, he's just he like he looks like. A jolly old grandpa. (laughs) I I just love him. My number three goes to the Magus, the
0: ruler of the technarchy. His first appearance was New Mutants, volume number one, number 18, back in 1984, created by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz. He was Warlock's dad. And if you don't know who Warlock is, because Warlock isn't around a lot anymore, back in the day, New Mutants, Warlock was an alien- living, sentient, robot
1: Techno-organic is, the, <laughs> is what they
0: call He was it. a techno-organic being, if you will, that could change his form, shape change. He was black with a bunch of yellow circuitry, had crazy hair. He was super tall. <laughs> he could turn into vehicles. They could ride and stuff like that. And he was the sweetest little techno-organic robot in the universe. Well, it just so happens, he was sort of the runt of the litter, and an accident. And from his home, on his home planet where he's from, his dad is the king of the Technarchy. And how do you become the king of the Technarchy? You kill the king of the Technarchy. is what your son is supposed to do. But Warlock, he was too sweet! So he took off, went to Earth. Dad followed him about a month later on a meteor, and showed up to cause some serious headaches for the new mutants at the time. And I was reading New Mutants. I fell in love with this whole idea. I love the character of Warlock. I loved how scary his dad was. And they realized, like, we have to kill his dad. He's so dangerous that we have to do it. And dad's like, yes, do it. Do your job. Become me. That's all I want is for you to kill me and become me. And they have to figure out a way to get around that. I highly suggest starting with that first storyline. I mean... If you want to start with New Mutants, number one, to get the background of Warlock, you can, but there's a three-issue series that starts with 18 that follows Warlock and the Magus, and it is so good. It's so wonderful, and this is Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz, who is, his art is out of control, insane at the time, and oh my god, did he make this character look terrifying. Loved it.
1: My number three goes to Odin, the all father of Asgard from Marvel comics. The character was first mentioned in journey into mystery number 85. Then he made his first appearance in number 86, uh, obviously heavily adapted by Stanley and Jack Kirby from Norse mythology, like all of the Asgardian characters, and then tweet into a superhero, <laughs> a superhero form. Um, Odin is the ruler of Asgard. Uh, you, you know, usually not currently, but uh, he possesses vast uh, cosmic abilities called the Odin power. Uh, the only catch is that sometimes he has to take a nap. He has to take a long nap called the Odin sleep. It's not easy and, you, being you know, a being the king of it, the gods. That's it not ain't easy. easy. Come it on. ain't easy being Odin. No, it is not. Um, and yeah, he's just like this vastly powerful, um benevolent uh, ruler of this uh, cosmic paradise that just so happens to, uh, you know, have lots and lots of enemies. Sure. Uh, Very famously portrayed by Anthony Hopkins in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, My first exposure to Odin came from Thor number 190. Uh, I was just a very young pup when I read this. Thor 190 came out in 1971. So I was not even alive when it came out. Uh the the way I saw it was uh in a reprint edition uh at the Omaha Public Library. My aunt used to take my sister and I to the library almost every week and they had uh a set of the Marvel trade paperbacks that they put out before trade paperbacks were really a thing like origins of Marvel comics, bring on the bad guys, uh, those sorts of things that you used to see advertised in, uh, the comics back then. Oh yeah. And one of those had, I think it must've been bring on the bad guys because Thor 190, uh, tells the tale of Odin getting fed up, with Hela trying to kill his son and murdering her. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Odin straight up kills the goddess of death. Well, he's not going to put up with that shit. I get it. I mean, come on. You'd think, and now you'd think, hey, not so bad, right? But what they quickly discover is that without death, life is running rampant, which means bugs overrunning everything <laughs> bugs and plant life overrunning everything every a population ever explosion. <laughs> uh, like uh, life unabated is a disaster sure like you have to have death and that's the harsh lesson that they learned there you go and so odin is forced to resurrect hella and he's like jump you're on thin fucking ice lady it's an awkward conversation yeah
0: but yeah hey of course sorry about that killing you thing Uh, no, no, he's just like yeah i'm not
1: and and of course she still wants to kill thor but lady sif steps in she's like chill out lady yeah uh and so when i read this this would have been like the early 80s it just like freaked my bean i was like what the what the what (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so that's how a young joe patrick learned uh, about the importance of life and death there you go Thanks, Odin. All of life's mysteries are answered in the pages of comic books. I've said that for years. That's where I learned most of my vocabulary. My number
0: two goes to the Kree Supreme Intelligence. It first appeared in Fantastic Four, number 65, back in 1967. Again, created by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So just go ahead and call it Jack Kirby. (laughs) I first encountered the Supreme Intelligence in the pages of Silver Surfer, number 10 from 1988. This is when Steve Englehart was writing it. And... Uh, Walt Simonson drew the issue. I picked it up because there was no Walt Simonson issue of Thor that week at the quick shop, but there was the Silver Surfer issue that he drew. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll check it out. I like Walt Simonson. And the idea of the Cree, like they didn't spell it out here. He just guest starred here in this story. But I looked into like what this was because it was so crazy. And the idea behind the Cree Supreme Intelligence is basically the Cree were scared when the Skrulls created the Cosmic Cube and they're like, we need a weapon of our own. We need a weapon of our own or we're going to get just rolled over. So they combined all the intelligences of their most brilliant scientists into one living supercomputer with a bunch of eyes and a bunch of faces that lives in like a giant green blob in a
1: well, big container. just got one container. face. He's got one face, but he's got a lot of little tentacles. Well, it has got a bunch of, of eyes, head. too. He's crazy looking. No, he's got two eyes. He's got four eyes. and like Oh, four eyes. Yeah. But
0: he still only has one face. I guess, but he's got like weird bridges on his nose and stuff, and like all these tentacles coming out of him that are plugging into crackling energy, and- they basically give birth to their leader. They make this thing, and then they go, tell us what to do! (laughs) And it becomes this machine that leads their entire race. It is so cool. And, like, Ronan the Accuser, basically, like, prays to it. And it's just like, tell me what to do, and I'll go do it. And it serves only to further the Kree. Now, I would love to tell you that there are some fantastic story that I read about the Supreme intelligence that I think you should read, but operation galactic storm. Yeah. Like I, I don't have it. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just always been maximum security. It's always been kind of a background character that I just love. I just think is a kick ass cosmic character and i love the idea that the kree basically created their own god which feeds into their own ego as to why they should just be in charge of everything and take over the universe because we're just so much smarter than everybody else we're so smart we made our god that's so cool i love it
1: my number two goes to none other than lex luthor his first appearance historically is Action Comics number 23 from April 1940. He was created by uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. But the version I am thinking of first appeared in the post-crisis reimagining of Superman, Man of Steel number four by John Byrne. This is the um, crooked businessman version of Lex Luthor that was so popular for decades. Oh, yeah. Uh, And this version of the character had the majority of Earth completely fooled into thinking he was like a Bill Gates type, you know, tech mogul. He had like there was Lex TV and Lex Luthor branded stores and all sorts of like, I'm sure at this point there's Lex Luthor type iPads. Um, But uh, eventually. This Lex Luthor. Ran for president. (laughs) And you might be asking yourself, there's no freaking way that Superman allows Lex Luthor to become president. Okay, real quick. I thought we were doing aliens. Oh, shit. You're right. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, you, you shot down my idea of doing presidents. Nope. No, 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 sorry. I totally spaced it and just went with a comic book president. Thing. Fuck.
0: <laughs> if you want to say Lex is ruler of Lexor, I'm okay with that.
1: Okay, fine. All right, fine. Leave all this in the show because it's, I obviously screwed up. Yeah, give me a break. You totally shot. I wanted to do no, no, no. presidents in comics and you were no, like, no, no. no this aliens. No, this was a, a complete mistake on my part. You're right. I did shoot down uh, normal uh, comic book politicians just because I, I didn't think we'd be able to think of 10 of them. I had no problem. With that. Uh, and obviously, I couldn't think of, of this was, five yeah, aliens. This was way There's, harder for me, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, uh, like you suggested, to make this all count, uh, Lex is also the ruler of Lexor, I'll buy that a planet where everybody loves him. I will buy that. Yes, my <laughs> favorite thing about
0: Lexor is the aliens that live there changed their name. They're like, we are no longer whatever we used to be called. We're Lexorians now. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. <laughs> they, they loved him so much they changed the name of their race. <laughs> in the in the version, uh, the pre-crisis version that I mentioned when we reviewed that comic, uh, like there was none of this like comedic like oh Lex screwed up you know, he created a race of killer robots and right. that was a bad idea right. to base econ- an economy on, uh, like, no, he was like legitimately a kind and benevolent ruler yeah. of Lexor. He just saved them. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, my recommended reading is the Superman president Lex, Trey- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you um, it. but Hey, uh, the recent Future State Superman versus Imperious Lex. It was great. It was awesome by Mark Russell and Steve Pugh.
0: Okay, before we waste any time here, we're both in our number one, and it's we seem to always line up with our number one. So let's count to three and just say our number one out loud together and okay. let's see if it's what I think it is. One, okay. two, three, Dark
1: side. Dark side. Ah, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's absolutely side. It has to be, though, right? It has to be. Of course, yes. He's like, DC's Thanos, but he's actually in charge of shit, where Thanos really isn't in charge of anything. He's just a bad guy. Yeah, no,
1: Thanos is like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thanos is just like, but he, he's busy doing a different thing. Darkseid, like, rules over a whole world, a group of new gods. Like, the old gods fell in Ragnarok, the new gods were
1: born, High Father was the good guy,
0: dark side was the bad guy
1: (laughs) yeah yeah like the planet the planet of the gods was like split into two one happy shiny place one dark and awful place apocalypse yeah and uh yeah it's uh so yeah dark side uh first uh, made a cameo appearance in superman's pal jimmy olsen number 134 in november 1970 Uh, uh uh once again jack kirby baby oh yeah Uh, He was fully introduced in Forever People, number one, from 1971. Also, again, Jack Kirby. Uh, Darkseid is the ruler of Apocalypse, uh, a fictional hellscape. Uh, It is a a planet of molten metal and giant fire pits and... uh, you know, uh, slave pits and poverty and hunger. Parademons and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's basically the worst place you'd ever want to go. Uh, Darkseid rules it with an iron fist. You'd think that would be enough. No, of course it's not. He is constantly in search of the anti-life equation. Sure. Uh, which seems like a really bad idea. But okay, now correct me if I'm wrong about this. And I have not read
0: near as much Darkseid stuff as you have. I fell in love with Darkseid during Grant Morrison's JLA run when he wrote Rock of Ages. That was my recommended reading as well. Where like Darkseid basically rewrote reality and was- No, wait, is that? No, no, no. Uh, It was Lex Luthor actually. Oh, that's right. And because of what Lex Luthor did, Darkseid ruled everything. And it was just like-
1: Lex Lex Luthor had the Philosopher's Stone. Yes. uh, Which was actually uh, the Warlogog. Uh, which is uh, another Whoops. Jack Kirby. <laughs> it's, it's basically like a device of near infinite power. It right. is you know, like, it's something that Metron takes care of. It's what uh, gave the Android Hourman man, his powers. Um, but yeah, so Lex Luthor uses it to basically defeat the justice league. And because of what he does, History has changed and Darkseid shows up and conquers the earth.
0: Yeah, and just like runs everything. There's like posters yeah. that just say Darkseid is on the. Yeah, like he basically is so in the process cool. of
1: turning it into a junior apocalypse. <laughs> they're so cool.
0: Guy that's doing his job. Like, is he bad? Yes, but he's um. bad because he has to balance High Father that's his job. And like, you see dark side, no. like dealing with high father at times where like they trade each other's
1: sons and shit. Cause that's part of the deal. No, that like, was to maintain peace. That was a peace treaty. Not like a balanced, like I guess, no. but like, no, 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 listen, you are wrong here. Basically what you're saying is that dark side made the trains run on time. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, like, no, like if Darkseid was gone, the universe would not fall apart. He's not maintaining some cosmic balance. But he's doesn't he bad. kind of believe that he is? Doesn't he no. think that that's
0: like, like, look, I do this because that is who I am. And that is my job. Well, yeah, he
1: but he believes he's destined to rule. He doesn't believe it's like some sort of sacred duty. Okay, see, I, I kind of got that, like, it was just like, look, you see no. what I'm doing is evil.
0: Sort of a Thanos thing where, like, I want to get rid of all half of the life in the universe because I was trying to save the universe. But whereas Darkside, like. Yeah, but in like, the
1: comics, he was trying to impress a girl.
0: Uh, well, a dead girl, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I just always thought, like, Darkseid's like, hey, I'm a businessman and being bad is my business. And that's just how it works. I'm not into, like, your ideas of morality or super heroics or whatever. Like, I have a job yeah. to do and I'm doing my job. So,
1: no, fuck off, no. Superman. That, that is not... Darkseid's motivation is to conquer, not to, like, provide some sort of counterbalance. Huh. Like, if there was no Darkseid, things would be hunky-dory.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. But, well, you know, Jack Kirby understood that things aren't supposed to be hunky-dory. They're supposed to be good
1: and bad, I guess. Well, yeah, Yes. Okay, yes. Uh, I mean, but, okay, look. That's a fallacy. Like, the <laughs> idea, like, to like to understand good, there must also be evil. No. No.
0: Yeah, but like if High Father's. It's- if it's
1: good, it's good. <laughs> but like the High Father even says
0: crap like that all the time. So <laughs> you don't have to get smallpox just to appreciate the times that you don't have smallpox. No, but it might help you appreciate those times, is what I don't saying, think so. so. <laughs> I love Darkseid though. He's ridiculous. He's the ultimate cosmic despot if you will yeah. you know he drives a giant flaming planet around <laughs> it's, it's great number, <laughs> number one with a bullet dark he's side. got a bunch of like evil stupid henchmen like granny goodness and shit like oh, I glorious love Godfrey,
1: free oh. <laughs> uh, so wolf steppenwolf um uh vermin wunderbar like all, <laughs> they all got like weird like what the hell why yeah. does he
0: sound german because <laughs> this is jack kirby unleashed when he came to dc yeah. that's why So. <laughs> there's our top five. And of course we want to hear about your favorite galactic despots this week on cover to cover. So hit us up. Let's talk about this top five. Let's talk about your favorites. Let's talk about real strong men that don't have to worry about impeachment guys like, Guys that can grab a cosmic rod and just rule, okay?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I'm really never going to hear the end of me uh, picking an Earth president after insisting we do alien no, presidents. No, you fought me on that, you jackass. <laughs> I know. I've, it's a total, it's my fault, 100%. I goofed. Exhaust. See, oh, oh, oh. That is it for Teach and 610. And next week, the
0: Cosmic Longbox returns. I don't know if you noticed, but there has been a cold snap that covered the entirety of the United States. And I knocked, believe it's called a polar vortex. It knocked power out in most of the South. So we are talking about characters with cold powers. It is the dog days of winter. We're all sick of it, but too bad because we're reviewing... Cold characters next week in the Cosmic Long Box. Joe Patrick, tell these kids about the question of the week that they can discuss this week.
1: Weekly, week, tell week. you what, I'm taking a road trip to Punxsutawney and I'm murdering that fucking ground dog. Yeah, he
0: really fucked shit up for everybody this year, didn't he? Like, he has really <laughs> ruined my month.
1: This week's question: We're still feeling very amorous here in the Ziggurat. It was submitted by Ryan Hebrews Mount, and he wants to talk love stories. That's your favorite comic book love stories and storylines from the wide world of uh, Marvel, DC, independent, whatever.
0: Yeah, comic book couples counts, too. We just talked about comic couples on the Cosmic Longbox last time. We didn't have the cover to cover, so let's talk about it this week. Hit us up. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, we we do still need question of the week suggestions, uh, so please hit me up on email, uh, Twitter, the forums, Facebook, whatever cover to cover is back every saturday at 11 central time live on the facebook page so call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an email with an mp3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com you could be internet famous uh please if you send in a voice uh if you send in an mp3 or leave a voicemail please keep it to two minutes or less uh we need to share the air there's lots of people that call in live be sure to check our Facebook for updates on the news stories we want to rap about. And of course, we want to hear your thoughts on everything from this episode. If you're new to the show and you're all ready to give it up for Lent, I assure you it's only
0: because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So you want to thank donors like our newest patron, Micah McGaffin? How long have we known that guy and he just started paying us to be our friend?
1: Come on. Well, <laughs> Micah was a former patron. He would okay. go away for a while. All and right. Now he's back. That's so fair. So thank you, Micah. That's fair. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Kickly, an artist Matt follows on Instagram and Twitter. Matt just got a book of prints he did of famous giant robots and monsters and reportedly... It kicks ass Confirmed It does indeed Kick ass And he drew me A Mecha
0: King Kong That was just for me Signed to me Because that is my favorite Giant robot I love Mecha King Kong So much
1: (laughs) kicks ass Alright If you want to follow him He's at Kickly K-I-C-K-L-I-Y On Both of those platforms
0: I assume Dude is super talented He's doing horror characters Right now And they're wonderful Wonderful stuff Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just kickly you straight in the crotch. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off.